You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Do I owe somebody money now? Anyway, welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is the premiere of season 13, 13 years of this show, if you can believe it. This is episode 528 for September 2nd, 2020. On today's show, pianist Kat Torin, who is just the bee's knees and the wasp's pajamas and various other insects, other parts and apparel. I'm going to take a little extra time here at the top of the show because I have a lot to tell you. Normally, we just dive right in. I I ask you for money and we dive right in. That's essentially what's going to happen now, except that I'm going to take just a little bit longer than I normally do. But then the break that usually comes in the middle of the show where I say maybe you should support this will be a lot shorter. Okay? Okay. That's the trade-off we're making right now. Here's the deal. For five years now, if you've been listening to this show during these last five years, um, I have been with my partner, Owen, and uh, we have decided that that's no longer the thing we're going to do to be together as romantic partners. And before you say, my gosh, that's really sad. I'm sorry. It's totally cool. Uh, This was always kind of baked into our relationship because we're so far apart in age and uh, Owen's 94. And so it's the best thing for both of us. We are treating each other with a lot of compassion and it's, I think, going to lead to good things, and we will be in each other's lives. And uh, of of the various times when I, in my life relationships have ended, uh, this one is by far the best, the most loving, the just the best all around. But as a result of the fact that it is ending, uh, one of the kind of driving factors behind that there were there were many. Some of them were emotional, but the circumstantial one is that I live very far from my kids now. Now, that was intentional. We wanted to get out of State College. In fact, I needed to get out of State College for a variety of reasons, but um, I was not on the run from the law or anything, Uh, but just for a variety of mental health reasons. However, we got way far away from it and from State College, and that's where my kids live. And as a result, I am... And because of the pandemic, it is impossible for me to see them, and it's impossible for them to come see me. And I just need, I need that to be different. At the same time, I have been very interested for a long time in the idea of living in some kind of thing on wheels that could travel around. Uh, I'd love to live in a boat, but uh, I get seasick. I didn't, I used to sail, but I, now when I sail, I just get sick. So I've been thinking for years that if you wanted to live in something on wheels, that essentially meant an RV and that all seemed very expensive and all that stuff. And I just thought, well, that's never going to be my thing. Then randomly, I tweeted a while ago, I would like to live in a van. I don't even know where the phrase I would like to live in a van came from out of my brain, but I tweeted it. And uh, Dimitri Matheny, who has been on this show, in fact, I think he was on last, he might have been the season premiere of last season, even. I could look that up, but uh, anyway, he he messaged me and he said, hey, are you serious about wanting to live in a van? Because I have lots of resources I could share with you if you are. Well, at that moment, I was not particular. I mean, I was serious about it conceptually, but it did not seem like a thing that was going to happen in my life. 
Anyway, he and I had a Zoom call because, you know, that's what you do nowadays. And he told me all about all this van life stuff. And I turned out that there is this entire culture of people who, for one reason or another, some to kind of reject the embrace of capitalism and some to dive into it, but in a different way, are living in converted vans of various kinds and cars and buses and whatnot. I'm not sure what the fourth category is. But anyway, uh, I fell into this rabbit hole of van life stuff. And then Owen and I made this decision about our lives to take them in two different directions. And it seemed like uh, a message from the universe. I decided I am going to live in a van. So I took all of the money that I had, which was not very much, and I bought a van, a minivan with a ton of miles on it because that was how much money I had. From 1999, but that was immaculately kept up by its owner and is in really, really incredible shape. And I am slowly, because I don't really have very much money, slowly converting it into the thing I'm going to live in. This all may sound completely wacky to you, and I get that. Uh, You can just, you know, if you were to search van life on YouTube or whatever, you'll see a million examples of this thing or minivan conversion or whatever. Um, So I'm slowly in the process of converting it. And... During sometime during this season, this season 13 of the jazz session, I will go from living in this apartment in Arizona to living in a van and traveling around. Now, you might ask yourself, how are you going to support yourself while you're living in a van, Jason? I'll give you a second. Thank you. That's a great question. Uh, The answer is, I hope, primarily through podcasting. For years and years and years and years now, I've been making this show. And at one other time in my life, I was homeless. Uh, This is intentionally so. I won't be homeless. My home will just be a van. Um, But at one time in my life, which you may remember as the Jazz or Bust tour, I was homeless. And I reached out to all of you to help me buy some bus passes so I could travel the country. And then I lived off the income from you folks, the members of the show. Right now, between this show and a brief chat and the scant bit of my freelance work that the pandemic has not eliminated because I worked for musicians and they don't have gigs anymore. I make about 420 blaze it dollars a month. And I am estimating at least in the beginning that it will probably cost me about a thousand dollars a month to live. Now, obviously I will pick up work here and there. If I need to, I will do digital nomad work, you know, editing for people, editing other folks, podcasts, copy editing, social media, whatever it takes. But in my ideal world, what will happen is enough people will become members of this show that it will bring in about $1,000 a month and I'll be able to live. How do you do that? How do you contribute to this $1,000 a month? It's super, super easy. You just go to thejazzsession.com slash join. Thejazzsession.com slash join. You can become a member for five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month. Now, there is a new thing that's happening this season and continuing into the future called track of the week. This is a thing that started for members during the hiatus, and I'm going to keep it going for uh, members all throughout this season. If you become a member at five dollars a month, in addition to the show each week, you'll also get a bonus episode where either an artist or I talk about either a track they've composed or a track I like. Uh, Most of the time it will be artists, but every once in a while it will be me because I've got some things I want to tell you about too. 
If you're a member at the $10 level, you'll get both of those things, the regular weekly show, plus the weekly track of the week, plus each month you'll get a bonus show that's kind of odds and ends and who knows what else, uh, people talking about albums they dig and that kind of thing. So that all of that is folded into you becoming a member. And here's the deal. Enough people listen to this show that if they became members at either at even $5 a month, that would immediately solve my financial problems. But most people who listen to this show do not become paying members. And I get it. A lot of people write me and say, I would love to support you. I just can't afford it. I totally dig it. If that's the case, you know, you do what you need to do. Don't worry about it. However, if you think that somewhere in your budget, there is five or 10 bucks a month that you just spend on frivolous stuff and you define it however you want, whatever to you seems frivolous, but you know, a thing, a thing you don't need, but that you just got because you were there at the moment and I'll get this. It's only five bucks. It's only 10 bucks. If that kind of space exists in your budget, I would love it if you would take a little piece of that space and move it over in your budget toward this show. For 13 years now, this show has been a, a labor of love, of, at one point my living, and I need it to be my living again, quite honestly. I have documented this jazz scene in this podcast before anybody else was doing that. Uh, I have continued to do it to the point where we are now at episode 528, and if you include various weird bonus things in their episodes that aren't in that numbering system, we're probably more at like 550 episodes worth of interviews all of which are archived, all of which are available for free. But I need your support to keep doing this. And uh, quite honestly, I think this show is worth your support. So that's the end of this incredibly long thing. There will not be another incredibly long one of these. I just wanted to tell you as the season is getting underway, this big change in my life and how you can help turn it into something really beautiful and wonderful. And that is by going to thejazzsession.com slash join and becoming a member right now. In fact, you could even pause the podcast, get that taken care of so that you can then focus your attention back on Cat Torrent, and then come back here and finish the show. But just go to thejazzsession.com slash join and help turn this dream into a reality. Thank you. Enough out of me. Cat Torrent's new record is called Scintillating Beauty, and here is how it begins. Torin, welcome back to the jazz session. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's my pleasure to have you. Uh, this is uh, the season premiere episode of season 13 of the jazz session. And uh, when I heard 
this record that you've most recently uh, put out, it was a, a no brainer that this is the record that I wanted to start the season with. Um, it's, it's very rare that an album's title also serves as an excellent review of the record itself, but the album is called Scintillating Beauty, and uh, it deals with some tough issues, um, you know, through the lens of instrumental music, but also through some written material that, you know, comes inside the record. And so I guess I'll just start off and, and ask why you felt moved to talk about social issues in your music, which, uh, of course, to be hundred percent clear, although I don't think you had any doubts about this, I completely support. Okay, thank you. Um, well, this band, this quintet humankind formed in 2017 during the last presidential election cycle. And there are just many things about about America as a country that I was not aware of. There, there are many issues involving, people that live in different cities, that they, they have their own politics that maybe I don't agree, but I certainly need to listen to and understand. And I felt that there was a real lack of that because I really didn't know very much about these people's issues at all. And um, so I went a little bit on a path to educate myself, do some learning. And I found that when you come into this world, you're this this beautiful, radiant being. You have no judgments. Um, it's really these learned behaviors over the course of one's life that happen very soon after one is born and the suffering of just the, the human existence that occurs from day one when you realize it's cold and you're hungry and there's these uncomfortable feelings. So that coupled with learned behaviors can cause suffering and judgment and unfortunately if you're getting more extreme it goes to bigotry, racism, things like that. I really don't believe that any human being is fundamentally a bad person. So I set out to write music about the current climate because that's what I think modern jazz musicians and artists of all kinds set out to do. So this is just my take on that, just one person, that's me. What you just described is very much, very much akin to, at least many flavors of Buddhist philosophy. You know, the idea that people kind of come into the world without flaw, like inherently enlightened or inherently possessing, you know, the ability to become enlightened, and that essentially we come into conflict between how the world actually is and how much we try to grasp on to what we would like it to be or things we would like not to change. Um, you know, a good thing happens and we don't want to let it go. A bad thing happens and we, you know, assume it will continue forever or react poorly to it. And a lot of that kind of sounds like what you were, you know, just saying this kind of conflict between the world we expect and our inherent nature and goodness versus what we actually sometimes encounter in the world and the ways in which it it changes us, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. The second album, so this is, this is a follow-up to the first Humankind release. Uh, it, I was very inspired by a Martin Luther King Jr. quote, and that's how this set of music really came to be, sort of unraveling from that. And that quote was something that was that was said in unison in a Unitarian congregation every single week that I, I played piano for this congregation called, called Original Blessing. I'll just read a, a, just a little part of that quote. 
Maybe you've heard it before. It's the one that says we are all tied together in a single garment of destiny, caught in an inescapable, inescapable network of mutuality. Whatever affects one directly affects another indirectly. So this music is very much coming out of that. So what I do and choose to play will affect the other player and will kind of come to this, hopefully, this perfect harmony, even if it's a bit of a cacophony of, of music. So this Unitarian Congregation or Original Blessing, it um, focused a lot on the fact that you're born blessed. You're not born with original sin. When you are bringing together a group of musicians to play music that you've written with this in mind, with this you know kind of philosophical thematic idea in mind, is it necessary to to kind of bring them into that same space? Yeah, absolutely. We talked about it. Uh, we talk about it in rehearsals. It. It's not difficult. I think all jazz musicians really play listening to one another and honoring the self by maybe put you're going to bring yourself into the foreground a little bit and then you're honoring others by supporting them either in the background or as uh, you're playing something that that just su- supports their role even though maybe it seems obvious like of course all musicians we're supporting and listening and that's just what we do. But I think it's interesting to discuss it ahead of time like that we we're going to have a goal of creating the sound together and seeing even how talking about that in a musical context like a wondering how, how that can be brought into daily life in other senses as well and obviously we're in a place right now where live performance in the sense that we're used to isn't really happening but if if we can just speak more generally in a in a live performance situation when you perform instrumental music do you try to make explicit to an audience the ideas that inform the music do you do you do much talking from stage do you talk about you know what you were thinking when you wrote the pieces yeah i i definitely try to i'm not always very eloquent i am a very nervous speaker so i do the best that i can i often have a little notes on the piano and Maybe I'll read some of the quotes that I was inspired by. I've definitely found that when I talk about this from the bandstand and where the music is coming from, uh, it it's respected from the audience. They come up to me after they say how beautiful that they thought it was and and thankful that I 
talked a little bit about the, the titles of the pieces or whatnot. So I, I try my best, but I don't find it very easy. The second half of that quote that you read um, from Martin Luther King Jr. says, and I am also paraphrasing, but something akin to, I, I can never be what I should be until you are what you should be. You know, and then I think he says it in reverse, uh, the same thing, vice versa. And I mean, I think about that a lot, that that idea of mutuality, um, you know, which you mentioned and that, uh, well, I guess it was also mentioned in the quote, um, that idea that we are so interdependent and tied into one another. And in the early years of this show, I talked a lot about and would ask people often about the energy that they receive from crowds and how that affects their performance. But as I have thought more about these things, I now believe that it's really it's more than just in the moment of live performance. I mean, the that transfer of of energy and emotion and and mood and compassion or lack thereof, I think it it affects everything we do, whether we compose music or do anything else with our lives at every moment. It just it it seems like it's impossible. You can't disentangle yourself from what's around you. Um, and so, I, you know, as you're doing things like writing music, I'm just I'm curious about how how much the emotion of that particular moment at which you're sitting down and writing is is playing, how much you're trying to to recapture an emotion you felt when you thought of a song idea, that kind of thing. Yeah, it really does come back to the fact that I'm writing music for the, the time, you know, the, the time that we're in. And that could be a more macro or more micro. Macro just on a on a level of maybe my my life or the last several years, and micro on the level of the moment that I'm sitting and composing this music. And I, I, I believe that the music still, I, I can set myself back to, to that moment of writing and what it felt like, which is great because that means that the live performance is, is um, gonna take me back to that raw emotion, which makes me play it better. Maybe albums that I had made many years ago, I can't really find that place anymore. So it's very much alive music. And also the music on this album is pretty open, lots of open-ended sections. So there is there is that ability for it to morph and change. And so it's still going to have that feeling of, of present time. How's the show going so far, do you think? Pretty good, right? I think it's pretty good. So uh, if you dig it, thejazzsession.com slash join, become a member. That's it. Back to the show.
we'll come back to the album in a minute, but um, I wanted to just mention that in addition to creating art, you have, since the last time we spoke, you've also created a human being. So first of all, congratulations. <laughs> That's a pretty cool thing to Thank do. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, am I right that your child is about half a year old? Is that right? Yep. Six months oh. old. Okay, cool. Clearly, even just in the six months, uh, would you tell me the name of your baby? So I don't have to keep Naomi. referring to it as your baby. Naomi? Yes. Awesome. So in the six months since Naomi was born, things have changed in some pretty drastic ways that we did not expect. And I'm just wondering, you know, not as a musician, but just as a, a human being, how that's been for you as a parent. And, uh, you know, I guess that's my question. There's certainly pros and cons. And one of the cons that I find really challenging is that most of my family has not met her. Um, my parents, both the grandparents, her, her grandparents met her in the first few weeks of her life at the end of February, and they haven't seen her since. And my siblings haven't either. And it's really heartbreaking. Wow. I, I'm not comfortable getting on an airplane with her yet. I hope that soon I will be, but we'll see. Um, but some of the pros have been that my husband is working from, from home. So he's around to see the little milestones, you know, and say hey to her a few times throughout the day. And that's very special and give me a little break sometimes since we've had, we're, we're also nervous about having people come over and watch her at this time. Yeah. So it's been pretty incredible to witness life right before your eyes but then also be surround surrounded by the the sadness of death at the same time i mean it's it's um it's massive massive on the emotions on a roller coaster yeah and the the disconnect from your family i mean that's i uh moved to the southwest on the first of march and my kids live in the east coast um but we had all these plans of you know, going back and forth, bringing them out here. We had a couple trips planned um, back there. And, you know, we thought we'd see each other, you know, once a month or, you know, once every six weeks or something like that. And I haven't seen them in six months, you know, which is an incredibly long time <laughs> not to see your own kids. My kids are a lot older than uh, six months old, but uh, even though you can't always tell from behavior, but they are older than six months. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just that for me, it's besides just missing them. I mean, like feeling that physical ache of not having you know, your, your kids around, or, you know, in your case, being able to have Naomi spend time, you know, with her family. I think there's also like the lack of agency that's involved in it. Like there's nothing, I can't do anything to make the time shorter or, I mean, other than, you know, I wear a mask and I socially distance and, you know, I do the things that all people should be doing, but in the, in the larger sense, I don't have any control over the situation, which I think makes it even more challenging because there's no defined end. And it's very hard to know, like, when's it going to be okay for me to fly, you know, across the country, for example, or, you know, driving takes a long time, that kind of thing. You have no idea how much I have thought about this. Should I go now? Well, the cases are low in New York and low in Vancouver. Are they going to spike later? Or, you know, like trying to Google, is there going to be a second wave really or not? Or It's just too much sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really Not only intense. that, she is the first grandchild on both sides of the family. Oh, Wow. And it's just heartbreaking to know that these they've been waiting so long to have this little grandbaby. They're so excited, and now it's FaceTime. You know, they they can't they can't share in all those little joys. So it's tough. Yeah, absolutely. 
before either of us is too much more depressed, um, we'll uh, we'll turn our attention back to the back to the music. I didn't really mean to take it in this super dark direction, but you know, sometimes the world is what the world is. I want to make sure that we don't neglect to talk about the people who are on uh, Scintillating Beauty and making this music with you. So will you uh, first maybe just give us the the cast list before we start talking about them? Sure. Yeah. So it's a quintet with Xavier Del Castillo on the sax. Uh, Yoshi Fruchter plays Oud on the record. Jake Leckie plays the bass and Matt Honor is on the drums. And I did have a, a guest on this record on track one, the first the first track, her name is Stephanie Rooker, and she played some sound healing instruments such as chimes, tuning forks, and singing bowls with me. Uh, we, we did a little overdub of, of some sound healing type sounds there. Can you say a little more about that? I'm familiar with singing bowls from Buddhist practice, although not the flavor that I practice, but certainly familiar with them from that. But I'm, I'm curious to know more about the sound healing instruments. Sure. Well, I became very interested in sound healing after I'd been to several sound baths in conjunction with acupuncture, and they shifted me out of out of a time where I was extremely fatigued. I I, uh, I might have had was it like chronic fatigue, maybe. But okay. I would go to these sound baths, and then I would feel. I don't better. mean to interrupt you, but I don't, I don't even. Can you just explain what a sound bath is? Like, kind of maybe take us down to the conceptual level, because I I don't even know. I've never even heard of that term before. Oh, okay, yeah, no problem. Yeah, so that's when you would you go and you lie on a mat, or for me, I was on the acupuncture table. You lie on a mat, and there's specific instruments. So, like the ones I mentioned, such as the singing bowl, the crystal bowl, and you'll be bathed in those sounds. A pr- practitioner will play the instruments, just improvise for you. And these specific instruments have a lot of overtones. And what what they say is that they will tune your body. So in essence, when, when you think of the fact that everything is vibrating and your your cells in your body are, are vibrating and sound is vibration, the practitioner can play the instruments in in order to tune up your, your channel, so to speak, tune up your body and mind. Can you describe the experience at all? I mean, can you feel in in the moment, like I can imagine the ways in which it would be pleasant, like just pleasant on a surface level. That sounds like a nice thing to do. But did you, were you able to in the moment feel anything more deeply than that? Or, or could, you know, maybe what were the effects afterward, that kind of thing? Yeah, several times. Yes. Sometimes it's just relaxing and that's fine. Sometimes it's, 
quite spiritual, especially like, so as a musician, you wasn't sure what to expect the first few times that I did this. And my mind really expanded when I heard some of the tuning forks that were tuned. They they were tuned in, in microtones. Okay. And I just didn't expect it. And the frequency, they're, they're very high and I don't, it's hard to put into words. There are just so many overtones playing and dancing with one another. And it's all in this very tiny microtone range. And these are these specific tuning forks that you feel like your brain is, is expanding. And then if there's the lower tones, um, the larger bowls or the, the drums, and then you really get down into your body as just as a comparison yeah, the, the first time that I had experienced that in conjunction with the acupuncture was I had been fatigued really for months. I was really stressed. It was when I first moved to New York City, and it was difficult to move from one country to another country. And I didn't even realize the extent of my stress. I just knew that I was always exhausted. And when I came out of this sound bath was the first time that I felt awake and like myself in probably six months. So I know that there's really something to it, but it's very, it's like elusive. It's, it's a little bit hard to talk about and I'd love to study a little more about the science behind it because there's definitely something going on there. So then bringing it back to the record, what was involved in uh, incorporating those instruments and, and that style into a composition, you know, where you would be joined by other people and that kind of thing. Did it, did it necessitate, you know, playing in a particular key or playing uh, in a, you know, at a particular level of volume or other things that I can't think about to ask? Well, on the first track, I begin with a particular scale. So I did choose the, the sound healing, the pitches specifically from the instruments that I had. The chimes, I just let do what they do, right? But the tuning forks and the bowls, I was specific about because there was a scale that we were adhering to. And later on, things get a little more cacophonous, so I didn't worry so much about about the actual pitches. Uh, just but the sound of those instruments brings me back to a place, and it's a place where I feel like I can be true to my inner self. And I think that's just from pr- practice practice med- meditating with these instruments brings me back to that place. But I think they also have that quality. Maybe other people would feel the same way. Um, there's a lot of drones in some of the tracks as well. And I like the sound of that kind of tinkering over top of a drone. To me, a drone is like, um, it, it's this just this beautiful little package that doesn't have a beginning and doesn't have an end and it doesn't have an arc. And it just is. So it brings you just deep into this place. And then when you play over top of that, you can manipulate emotion a little bit. So I, I did try to play with that aspect of music in a few of the tracks on the record. Let me take just a moment to thank the folks who make this show possible, starting with the members who support it and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com, who have been providing the theme music since day one. Dave Rabel, who designed the logo way back in the day. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro, and you can hire him for your voiceover work at hearchucknow.com. 
You can follow this show on Twitter at Jazz Sesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at The Jazz Session. Please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. And if you'd like to keep up to date on what I'm doing with my shows and my poetry and very soon my travel and more, subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter by going to thejazzsession.com and clicking on the newsletter link. Now, back to the show. extent if any and it's fine if the answer is not at all um is this music like programmatic or you know kind of describing a particular situations or maybe even emotional states like for example the record you know as it progresses it kind of ends in this hopeful place at least you know to my to my ear and in, in terms of the the harmonies and the the rhythmic things that are happening you know toward the the latter half of the last track and i wonder you know how much if any at all, is the record trying to tell any kind of story, whether it's, you know, an actual narrative or just a a kind of emotional journey? It does, but it happened after the fact. So, okay. Which is, which is cool because when I was writing the music, I wasn't thinking too much. I was just sort of sitting in the place where I was. Some things worked and I kept them and some things didn't work and you throw them out and you don't use it at the time. But I realized that this narrative was sort of being formed on on its own. The album is bookended by more, yeah, like uplifting sounds. Like you said, the, the last track ends with, with a groove, and it's a hopeful groove. And the beginning of the album, it, it's not a groove, but it's it's just these these tones that feel light and innocent and nice and, and beautiful. Um, so it's bookended by, by quote unquote, po- positive emotions. And then it goes through a bit of a journey in the middle of, you know, more cacophony and darker tones and grooves. And there's that swinging groove as a third track and, you know, so on and so forth. Can you talk about the decision to involve uh, the Oud in this ensemble? Um, I had been playing with an Oud player in Vancouver and his name is Gord Gradina. He's not on the record, but he's played several gigs with us, and we had been playing in Vancouver together. So, and he was I on. I'll just, that, if you don't mind me interrupting, just very briefly, I will just say that he was on last season on this show, and folks can go in the archive and find that interview. Sorry. Yeah, he, he's a fabulous player. No, please, you should you should say that. He's so great. Um, so I already knew that that timbre and sound was something that I appreciated, and could hear in my music. And I was also really inspired by some of Alice Coltrane's music that incorporated Oud. It's just a beautiful sound. Um, So three of the four tracks of this record have Oud. And I I wrote specific, a specific melody on the first track for him, for, for Yoshi. So Yoshi, Yoshi Fruchter is the Oud player that I recorded with. I had to pick an oud player specifically that was okay with doing free improv and was okay with trying to figure out some more Western 
harmonies in in certain pieces. So the, the last track, I asked him if he could if he could double some chords with me, and so we had to kind of work out. Okay, this is not really something that the oud does, but but <laughs> I'll I will be able to do it. The first track was more a little bit like yeah, that that's more in 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 the realm of what's normal for oud, but. Yoshi and Gord are cool and open-minded and they just want to experiment. So it worked out perfect. Now that you've invoked the name of Alice Coltrane, I will say something that I probably wouldn't have said otherwise, because I generally try not to say, hey, this thing reminds me of this thing. But while I was listening uh, to this record the first time, I was thinking, oh, this kind of reminds me of Coltrane. But the Coltrane I was thinking of was Alice, not not John. And uh, I adore a lot of her music that is kind of more drone and, and trance-based and, uh, well, pretty much her entire output I, I really love, but that stuff in particular. And so I'm just, I'd like to know more about your own uh, your feelings about her and her music and, uh, you know, the ways in which you are inspired by it. I was inspired by her music from the first second that I heard Transfiguration, which was the first record that I had heard by her. Uh, that particular record was so full of energy and and raw and gorgeous and I was interested in female jazz musicians I still am but you know at the time I was sort of trying to lean into that and when I was checking out her other records I just found her to be to possess so many of the emotions that that I feel when I'm playing music too so it could be just this laid back beautiful drone maybe some 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 singing or she can be just just a force to be reckoned with you know and just that juxtaposition was incredible and her dedication to spirituality is something that I know I could never do myself but I really respect that and I am interested in in her life and journey to that end as well As you look down the road, uh, you know, obviously there's a, a lot of uncertainty for all of us, but to the best of your ability, can you tell us about uh, kind of other things that you have coming up or planning? Are there are there other things besides, you know, obviously raising another human being, but uh, are there other musical things that are on the horizon? Uh, there's, there's these little things, these little premieres that I have coming up. One of them is with this trio that's called Ocelot that I'm in with Colin Hinton and Yuma Uesaka. All I can say now is you're going to have to, to watch for us to, to start making the announcements for that because we don't have an actual date for the video premiere. Okay. I know it's going to be in October, 
and we're working on an album as well. We recorded it before the quarantine, and it's mix mastered. It's all ready to go. We're just working on the behind-the-scene details there. So you can look for that the band Ocelot. And I'm in a group in Vancouver called Pugs and Crows. And we also have a video premiere coming up real soon. Again, I wish I could give you specific dates, but everything is just all this mish, mishmash in, in the works here, trying to figure it out. But Pugs and Crows what, and Ocelot what's the best way, and Humankind. What, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What's That's the best right. way no, for no. folks to, uh, to, to follow so that they know when stuff is coming out? What do you recommend? Facebook at CatTorin, Instagram. Instagram I probably post the most on, and that's also at CatTorin. Yeah, those those two I think would be would be the best. And then my website is CatTorin.com. It's all the same. It's very easy to find me all over all over the space of the internet. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you definitely want to get onto the recording? I kind of wanted to talk about something that's scary to talk about. Okay. And that that is that is um what it means to navigate space as a white person right now. Because I've been thinking about it a lot and it is scary to talk about because when one is self-promoting, you you're unsure of um how how it's going to be perceived at really any given time on social media. Social media is a scary place. That's why I don't always engage in it very often. And I don't put my baby's face on it. And, you know, I, I try to make light of it, but it's, it's not the easiest place to navigate. But I wanted to talk about it a little bit, just in terms of, first of all, I feel very grateful that I have the ability to play music and put my passion out there into the world. And I truly believe that anybody that has a passion that wants to share it, they absolutely should do so. I hope that I inspire other people to do so. And countless people have inspired me to pursue my passion and to share it with others. Having said that, what I've been thinking about a lot is how much space one takes up depending on who you are where you are in your career have you been taking up a lot of space what does that mean to you have you have you been in the background your whole life you know those are just questions that i think especially white people need to grapple with i don't have the answers it feels right to say how much space one is taking up but what does that exactly mean i think those are all starters to conversations that that we can have maybe not in public on social maybe but maybe just in our circles of friend groups so we can really get into the details of it uh the new record is scintillating beauty and it is uh, really fabulous and worth your time cat has a previous interview on this show which you can find in the archives cat it's been such a pleasure to talk to you uh, congratulations again on your expanded family and uh, on the music and i'm really glad you took the time to be on the show Thank you. This means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. If you dig what you just heard, become a member for five or ten dollars a month at the jazzsession.com slash join. I hate to say now more than ever, but now more than ever, I need your support. 
Thanks to my guest this week, Kat Torin, who is absolutely fabulous. Next week's show features the also fabulous flute player, Jamie Baum. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.